0: Please open your Bibles to Galatians chapter 6. And we're going to talk this morning about being uncomfortably close. I don't know how many of you watched Seinfeld. There's a famous Seinfeld episode. And y'all, when I realized that it was 25 years ago, that blew my mind. Oh, my goodness. So there's this very famous episode in which Elaine has a new boyfriend. And she discovers a problem right away with this new boyfriend. The problem is he's a close talker. I think his name was Aaron. When Aaron would come up to talk to you, he would get unnaturally close. He would violate your personal space. He would be right up here to talk to you. He was a close talker. He was uncomfortably close. This morning we're going to talk about a different type of uncomfortable. It's our proximity one to another. In the church, believer to believer, We're getting close to the end of our series in Galatians. We've covered so much. How about a 90-second review? Paul had to write this letter to churches that he planted in this region of Galatia. Because he planted these churches, but now there's some people who are there that are upsetting these new Christians. They're adding to the gospel that Paul preached, saying, if you want to be really okay with God... If you want to be varsity-level Christians, then you need to fulfill the law. You need this additional burden of law observance placed upon you. And unfortunately, the Galatians were falling for it. And so Paul had to write. He had to set things straight. And so one of the big themes in Galatians is that you're no longer under the law. In fact, you've been set free from the law. And the most important thing that you could do is to live in the freedom for which Christ has set you free. It is a radical and a scandalous freedom, a freedom so radical, a freedom so free, in fact, that folks get a little anxious about the fact that it might be abused, that this freedom might be taken a bit too far. And so Paul acknowledges those concerns. He addresses those with a surprising safeguard, a surprising corrective to this potential of abusing your freedom. Do you remember what it was? It was back in chapter 5, verses 13 and 14. For you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now that's a very specific and practical step that Paul gives. And that's just the part of the letter that we're in. We're in the practical part of this letter. Very often Paul has... Uh, one part of his writing that is more uh, more abstract maybe more theoretical it's about these great truths of the gospel here's everything that Christ has accomplished for you and finished for you and done for you here's who you are because of what Christ has done and then he takes a turn and he says all right because of all of these big truths here's how your life's going to be changed and transformed here's how it's going to be different And so he gives us something very practical, love one another, serve one another. And over the past few weeks, we have seen that turn into walk by the Spirit, keep in step with the Spirit, and those are helpful, those are practical. But for some of you, those things might still be a touch too abstract for you, might still leave you with a few questions about, that sounds nice, but how exactly do I do that? And so if that's you this morning, rest assured, Paul's about to get as pointedly practical as he ever does. As he is calling us, in fact, Jesus through his Apostle Paul is calling us to get uncomfortably close. Stand if you're able for the reading of God's Word. I'm going to back up just a couple of verses into chapter 5 for context. So beginning in Galatians 5, verse 25. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Brothers and sisters, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. This is God's Word. It is inspired by the Holy Spirit, It is inerrant. Every single word is true. It is infallible. It will not fail to accomplish all that God has intended. And we sit now under its authority. We must heed what it says. Please be seated. So here's the roadmap, if you will, for talking about this uncomfortable proximity Paul is calling us to. There's an outline in your worship folder. Three things here. First of which is... Bearing burdens. Second thing is the restoration from sin. And the third thing will be obstacles to that closeness, obstacles to our proximity one to another. Now, for the first half of this week, as I was studying this passage, I thought Paul had a whole bunch of different things going on here. What is all this stuff? He's got like four or five different things going on. But the further I got into it, I began to see oh, these things are related. And then by the end of the week, I said, oh, this is just one big thing that we're dealing with here. And that one big thing, I think, comes in verse 2, and that's why we're going to take this a little bit out of order, but you'll understand, I think, as we go along. The big idea comes in verse 2 of bearing burdens. Bear one another's burdens, Paul says, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Now, this one command of Paul's is so insightful and just chock full of so much important stuff. First of all, very simply, I want you to see and notice just how wrong the Judaizers were. So the Judaizers are those that had come in to these churches that Paul had planted and said, you need law observance if you want to be serious Christians. See just how wrong they were. They were saying, hey, in order to fulfill the law, we have to add more burdens onto your back. That's how you're going to fulfill the law, is if we add more burdens to you. you got to get circumcised. you got to keep kosher. you got to observe all the feasts and the holy days and the, all the things on the religious calendar and on and on. Paul says, nope, it's not it. You don't fulfill the law by adding more burdens. In fact, you fulfill the law when you share the burdens you already have. So that's the first thing. Notice just how wrong they were. Second thing, y'all, it's assumed that we will have burdens. That's part of life. It's assumed that we will have burdens. Coming to Christ is not a way to living a burden-free life. And if that's the bill of goods you were sold, or if that's what you're trying to sell somebody else and telling them what it means to be a Christian, right? If, if any part of your explanation involves 24-hour-a-day, seven-day-a-week rainbows and sunshine, right, don't buy it. Jesus doesn't call us to a burden-free existence. In fact, he calls us to come take up a cross and die, All right that that's another scripture for another day but even in that even in the stark reality of that when he calls you he calls you into a family verse one of this passage brothers and sisters if we were going to literally translate it from the greek he calls you into a family the father adopts you and gives you sisters and brothers with whom you will share your burdens and so this is the third thing god's design his purpose his intention is that the weight of your burdens be spread among us that we share that weight That we will bear the burdens of others, and others will come alongside us and bear our burdens. And so here's the thing this burden bearing and sharing, it requires us to get uncomfortably close. Picture someone, if you will, with a huge load. It's a huge load, it's up on their shoulders. Right? They're bent over and, and hunched down under the weight of the burden. Now, if you're going to bear that burden, what do you have to do? You've got to get up shoulder to shoulder next to them, you've got to get under the weight with them. See, so you, you can't bear a burden from afar. You can't bear someone's burden while still keeping them at arm's length distance. You got to get up in their business. You got to get in their personal space. There, there, there's some intimacy there. There's, there's some, certainly some vulnerability there. Right? It's not just your willingness to bear their burden, it's their willingness to let you bear it. There's got to be a willingness for them to say, yeah, this is too heavy for me. I need you. I cannot do this by myself. And if we were to survey the scriptures, they're just chock full of of beautiful examples of burden bearing of folks who got uncomfortably close. Just a few Ruth bore the burden of her mother-in-law, Naomi. Right. Naomi said, go away. Go back. I don't want you here with me. And Naomi's, uh, Ruth said, no, I'm staying right here with you. She was uncomfortably close. Jonathan bore the burden of his closest friend, David. When his father, King Saul, was trying to kill David, Jonathan kept him alive, and it was uncomfortable for Jonathan especially in terms of his relationship to his father. Think about the four friends in the New Testament who were literally, physically bearing the weight of their friend as they brought him, carried him, lowered him down through the roof so that his friend could get to Jesus. They bore that man's burden. So many examples. And of course, we have to consider Jesus himself Nothing compares to the way that He bore our burden. So beautifully described and portrayed in Isaiah 53, where Isaiah foretold how this suffering servant of our Lord Jesus would bear our griefs, He would carry our sorrows, He talks about our our chastisement, our punishment being placed upon him. Our iniquity, it says, was laid on him. He bore the burden of our sin and rebellion, a burden that we would have been crushed by. We could not bear the weight of it, so instead he took that weight upon himself. He bore it himself, and he was crushed by the weight of it in our place he was crushed and so jesus now this is important jesus is not merely the best example among all the examples he's not the example that we really ought to try to imitate His bearing our burden was not an example, but it is the transforming power by which we are enabled to bear each other's burdens. So get that. We are not going to bear each other's burdens because we're trying to be like Jesus. We're going to bear each other's burdens because his bearing our burden changed us from the inside out. To be loved to that degree, that though He didn't have to, but He wanted to bear your burden and it cost Him everything to do it, but He did it willingly because He loves you. To be loved like that changes you. It changes you into a person like him into a person with a similar desire to make a costly sacrifice to get uncomfortably close to your brothers and to your sisters and to bear their burdens and so what we have back a verse in verse 1 I think is a very specific example of a burden that we're called to bear restoring the one caught in sin so verse one brothers and sisters if anyone is caught in any transgression you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted talk about uncomfortably close talk about getting up in somebody's business This isn't just uncomfortably close. This is painfully close. Uh, the word here for restore. This is great. all right. In the Gospels, this word for restore is used for mending of the fishing nets. All right? They needed to be repaired, sewn back together, whatever. So that's all right. But in, in the secular Greek of the day, this is the word used for setting a broken bone we're putting a dislocated joint back in place. Ouch. How absolutely perfect for describing what we're called to do here. An incredibly painful but necessary action. Can't go around with your shoulder out of joint can't go around with your hip at a joint. It's got to be popped back in. It's going to hurt. What a perfect picture of one believer addressing, loving, confronting another believer about their sin. Y'all, that, that's painful. <laughs> that's uncomfortable for both parties. Right? It's not something that we're chomping at the bit to do. Or at least it shouldn't be. All right, so let's flesh this one out just a bit. Make sure that we understand what we're talking about. It says, first and foremost, it says, if you're caught in sin. Right Now, caught could be that you've been taken by surprise. Taken unawares. Caught could be because you don't see it. You, you don't realize it. It's a, it's a blind spot for you. Or maybe you're caught it's something that you're aware of but man has it gotten the upper hand on you and you're stuck and and you can't see a way out of this it's those types of situation that's in view here it's not just any instance of sin right it's not that we're supposed to be the sin police and we're just watching and we're waiting and there it is i got you red-handed that's not it this is a sister or a brother who's in the weeds and they need help getting out now next thing is to notice who should be doing this activity right who should be helping the person out of their sin well it needs to be someone spiritual and this is the point that some of you are saying, oh, thank goodness. It's just for the elite Christians. I'm not included in this. Certainly, I'm not spiritual. Not so fast. Uh, there's, there's two levels of looking at this, I think. Think about the word spiritual. Right? All that means is of the Spirit. Right? A spiritual gift is a gift of or from the Spirit. Right. So on one level, Paul is talking about any and every Christian. Because any and every Christian is of the Spirit. The Spirit had to start their conversion. The Spirit had to open their blind eyes, unstop their deaf ears, remove the heart that was... Uh, uh, stony and hard and unresponsive and put a heart of flesh in its place. And every Christian has the Spirit dwelling inside. So on one level, he is talking to any and every Christian because any and every Christian is of the Spirit. Now, on another level, when is this going to work? When is this going to happen how God designed it and intended? Well, it's going to be when it's a spiritual Christian in the sense of they're walking by the Spirit. They're keeping in step with the Spirit because only then will the necessary fruit of the Spirit be present that's required and called for here, gentleness. See, you're not going to try to set this broken bone or pop this joint back into its socket without great care and concern and with as much gentleness as possible, though it's still going to hurt. No, you're not going to come to your brother who's caught in sin and say, shame on you for being caught in sin. Shame on you for being caught in one of the enemy's traps. I can't believe you. No, the goal here is not to shun, not to castigate, not to rub the person's nose in it. The goal here is to bring them back to health, to restore, to bring healing, to bring wholeness. And so we walk by the Spirit And we bear the fruit of the Spirit, namely gentleness, that will allow us to get uncomfortably close. Even painfully close. To see our Christian family healthy and whole. Now here's one last thing, and this is a segue into this third point. Note this warning in verse 1. Restore the brother caught in sin, but be careful you might be tempted too. Now for a long time I thought this had to do with the the contagion of sin. Be careful. If you're helping your brother or sister with their drinking problem, you might turn out to be an alcoholic too. That's not what's going on here. That's why I wanted to back up a couple of verses into five and give you the bigger context. The biggest problem here is actually point three it's it's an obstacle to getting close, it's an obstacle to our proximity. And I couldn't decide if I was going to say obstacles, plural or singular. It's really just one. And the obstacle is this it's comparison. But that one obstacle comes out in a number of different ways. How you view your brothers and sisters and how you view yourself. See, when we look at ourselves and see how we measure up against each other, nothing good ever happens. We definitely do not move toward each other. We do not get uncomfortably close when we compare. And so I think that's what Paul is getting at in the temptation he mentions in verse 1 and what he's further getting at in verses 3 through 5. It boils down to this. My view of myself can be too high, Or it can be too low. My view of you can be too high or too low. And those wrong views keep us from getting close. And so the temptation Paul's warning about in verse 1 is if while you're trying to help someone, while you're trying to restore them from their sin, if you're thinking in your mind, I would never. I'm so glad This would never happen to me. I would never stoop so low. I would never get involved in that. I would never get caught like this. I'm too smart. I'm too holy. I'm too prayed up. I've had my quiet time 124 days in a row. This would never happen to me. Right? See, that's verse 3 at work. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. And you can also flip that around, right? You can also say, if anyone thinks someone else is something, when they are nothing, he deceives himself. Because here's a big thing that I think keeps us from getting uncomfortably close. Sometimes our estimation of the other person is too high. And we either think and excuse and say, they would I must be not be seeing what I think I'm seeing because this person would never do that. Or maybe it's hard to get away from the fact that they did, but you esteem them so highly and you value their approval so much that you would never jeopardize that by confronting them about their sin. Because you need their approval too much. At the end of the day, it's not how we esteem ourselves or our neighbors because it's not a relative comparison of how well we measure up to those around us that matters. We're not the standard. God's the standard. That's what Paul's getting at in verse 4. But let each one test his own work. Right? Well, how are you going to test your work? What's the grading key, if you will? It can't be each other because we're all cracked pots. In Calvin's commentary about this passage, he said if the man with one eye is placed among the blind, he thinks he's got perfect vision. Isn't that what we do though? That's exactly what we do. Now we have to hold ourselves and each other up to God's standard and when we do, you'll be reminded of the fact that you are nothing. And you'll be reminded of the fact that your neighbor is also nothing and that you both stand desperately in need of the work of Christ, the work that he did in your place, if you want to have anything to boast about at all. Now, got to deal with verse 5 because it just seems a little odd here. Paul keeps doing this. Is, is Paul now contradicting what he just said? Verse 5 says, everyone's got to bear their own burden. Verse 2 said, we've got to bear each other's burdens. All right, so look carefully with these two verses side by side, 2 and 5. The bearing is the same, but we've actually got two different words here. We've got burdens in 2 and load in 5, and they are different words, in fact, in the Greek. I'm not going to bore you with the vocabulary of those. But because they're two different words, we've got good reason to believe that Paul's making two separate points. Right? And so what Paul's doing in verse 5 is he's still pointing people away from relative comparisons with each other. You're not called to bear your neighbor's load. You're called to bear your load. That's what God's called you to You're called to bear your load. And at the end of the day, taking all of God's word into account, right, ain't none of us able to bear our load anyway. At the end of the day, we're all running back to Christ who bore our load for us and we cast ourselves on the mercy of our load bearer. Now, let me wrap this up by getting uncomfortably close with you all. And asking you, will you get uncomfortably close? Is that how you would describe your relationship with your brothers and sisters in Christ in this church? Or are you living at arm's length from them? Are you trying to be a brother or a sister from afar? Now, if you're a member or a regular attender, back in January, I issued to you a challenge that came from our leadership to make use of the opportunities that we have provided for you to get uncomfortably close to each other. Now, if this gathering... Morning gathered worship right now. If this gathering is the only thing you engage in in the life of our church, then you are not uncomfortably close. In a very real sense, you are at arm's length distance. Now, let's say you're a regular participant in Sunday school, you're getting warmer. All right, that's definitely better proximity to your brothers and your sisters in Christ. But let me just tell you, your leaders firmly, wholeheartedly believe that the single best way for you to get uncomfortably close in this church with this body is to be a part of two hundred and fourteen. Our small groups that meet on Sunday nights. Right. That's where the proximity is closest. That's where the uncomfortableness can flourish. And you say, ooh, sign me up for that. I can't wait to be uncomfortable. But y'all, that's where relationship is going to flourish. Now, you might have a whole host of reasons for not participating. Perhaps one is thinking, well, I've got a lot of close friends. I'm not isolated. I've got, I've got close friends. I've even got friends that I bear their burdens and they bear mine. We're close. But here's the real test. Are these friends and are these friendships So close that you're willing to either inflict the pain or receive the pain that comes from having your broken bones set or your joint popped back into its socket, aka having your sin confronted and addressed and in gentleness. Seeking to restore one another. See, it's, it's, not, it's not just close relationships that you need. You've got to be uncomfortably close. Let's pray. Father, that is not a natural and normal desire to have other folks up in our business. To subject ourselves to the pain to the discomfort of either having to address someone else's sin or having someone else address ours. But, Father, it is your way. It is your command here in Scripture. And it's for our good. And it's for your glory. It's that the church might be strengthened. It's that its individual members might grow to be healthy and whole. And so, Lord, I pray for your Spirit to move us toward that, to move us toward a place where we would submit to you in getting uncomfortably close to one another. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Please stand and let's sing.